0: And as they are going, I'll ask you to find a Bible. Uh, It will be on the projector when we read it, but not when we study it. And it'd be great if you could have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 7. I want you to be able to see Jesus' words with your own eyes and be able to follow along with me in Matthew chapter 7. And we need to pray this morning. We need to pray... Not because it's what we do, but I think that we need to prepare ourselves for what God may have to say to us this morning. So let's pray now before we look at Matthew chapter 7. Did you bow with me? Father, here we are, and I believe that you directed me to this passage for this moment, for this people. And Lord, I just pray that you would have your, that your will would be done in our hearts and that your word would would do its sharper than any two-edged sword work in us as a church and as individuals, that you would enable me to serve your people really well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I prepare a sermon, I begin as as early as possible in the week Usually I have some, some larger plan like I'm working through a book like Romans or there's some special occasion coming up like Father's Day next week and I know generally where I'm headed and what I'm doing and I, I go to my passage. Usually it's not difficult for me to find a passage because generally my mindset is all of the Bible is breathed out by God and profitable. So really it doesn't matter which passage I preach in a sense it's going to be profitable. And God has promised to do, accomplish his purposes through his word. So usually I open up my Bible it's at some point on Monday and I look at the passage and I just read it and I have something to write with. And words will start to, to pop out as especially important or, or that I need to go make sure I understand. Or connections between verses will appear and and all these things will start to just blossom out of the text. Like, you ever see time-lapse photography of a flower blooming or, or things growing? That's what it's like. It just it grows, and I see it all, and I try to get it down on paper. And then the rest of the week, I'm trying to digest that and prepare and think of ways to make that plain. And it usually goes that way, and it's a joy to me. It's one of my favorite parts of what I get to do. Now, this week, I had determined that I would begin a new little mini-sermon series called God is Able. And I had found several passages that stated... God is able to fill in the blank and today's was going to be, uh, provide victory. And I had a passage where, um, this guy named Gideon was going to lead the men of Israel into battle. And God said, you have too many men trim it back because I want to get the glory and I'm able to, to provide victory. And, uh, I, I, I sat down and looked at that passage and just Nothing. Just, um, Jesus talks about having eyes that see and ears that hear. And I did not have eyes to see or ears to hear. It was like, I was it was a block of wood here. It was just, that scripture was, was, I was dead to it. I had no emotions about it. No connections were springing forth like usual. So that's okay. You know, I look for other passages and I've I studied, I've studied probably two dozen passages in preparation for this Sunday morning. And none of them, had any effect on me. Have you ever read the Bible and it had no effect on you at all? And you might as well be reading the ingredients in a box of cereal? And that usually doesn't happen to me. I mean, it really doesn't. Usually, uh, the most exciting thing to me is to get in here to prepare to preach. But nothing spoke to me in any way, all week. And so all the way to yesterday, I still didn't know what my passage was going to be. Kathy was going to do the scripture reading today, and she was waiting to hear from me. Well, what passage is it going to be? And I said, I, still, I don't know. I never go into Saturday not knowing what passage I'm going to preach. But I did this week, and, and Saturday flowed on by. We had a lot going on, and you know, and I, I was in the Word, you know, praying, Lord, direct me here. And Meredith said, why don't you just go up to the church so you can focus? You know, at our house, there's kids and it's crazy and our cat's got stuff going on. Um, so I came up here and I sat at my office in my desk chair and I studied. And, you know, I, I thought I had nailed down a, a psalm I was going to bring. and But I realized I don't, I don't care about this psalm this week. And I was going to, I was almost at the point I was going to get up here and preach this thing, trying to almost act like I was passionate about it when I I wasn't. And it made me sick to my stomach to even think about doing that. So I came in here and I sat down on that prayer bench right there and I had my Bible and I was praying and and I prayed something to the effect of, Father, if you don't give me a word to give to your people, I'm not going to give a word to your people. I'm not going to stand up there and act like I'm all full of this some passage that i'm not if there's something wrong in my heart reveal that to me i don't know what's going on and I, I decided what i would do is i would just read i have a system that i read to read through the bible It took me three years the first time and it looks like it's going to take longer this time but it it has me at different places in the bible and i read sort of a chapter in each spot and i decided i will i will read according to my plan prayerfully And if there is something that you want me to bring to your people, just make it plain to me. And I'll read until I can't stay awake any longer, if you haven't shown me. And then I'll get up and read until I have to stand up and preach. And if you haven't shown me anything, I'll get up and read that psalm, but I'm not going to try to preach it. I'll just read it, and we'll pray together or something. That that was my decision sitting right there. And so I started to read, and my first one is in Genesis, and then my next one is in Job. My next one is is in Isaiah, and then my next reading point is in Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, and I read Matthew chapter 7, and then when I got to the passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, which is our passage for today, it just felt clear to me that this is the passage for us today. I don't know why. This is very unusual for me. I, it tends to be, I tend to be very straightforward with things like this, but this is the passage for us this morning. As soon as my eyes hit these verses, all that stuff that I described earlier started to happen and all these things started to grow up out of it into my mind. And so what I have is these verses and eight really simple observations. It's not very well polished because it was six o'clock last night when I realized that it should be this passage. Eight observations and then I'm gonna invite you to respond to it. And I don't know what God's doing. I don't know why he wants this passage this morning, but he does. So let's read it together. I would like for you to stand if you can, if you're able. And we'll read these verses, Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23. It says, Jesus speaking, he's winding down the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous discourse. He's concluding it. And this is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, of lawlessness. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And that's the last slide that we're going to use. It'll be black through the sermon. Thank you guys. Observation number one comes from verse 21. Not everyone who calls Jesus Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He's referring to people who are saying, Lord, Lord, now. He's not yet in the future tense. He's not yet talking about that day when we'll face Jesus. He's talking about right now. People who are saying to him, Lord, Lord. So when he was teaching, he was talking to people who were physically there with him. So these would have been people who actually saw Jesus and were saying to him, Lord, Lord. Now, he's not here physically now. So this passage now is referring to us when we speak to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. What are we doing when we speak to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord? Probably we're praying. I don't know any other time that we're addressing Jesus directly, except maybe when we're singing praise songs. There will be praying people who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And with gusto, it's not just Lord, it's Lord, Lord. Repetition in biblical language means vigor, it means passion, it means emphasis, it's emphatic. Lord, Lord, in prayer, yet not entering the kingdom of heaven. Now, what he is talking about is a contrast. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he's putting before us a contrast. Okay, there's a group of people who say to me, Lord, Lord. Some of those people will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Some of those people will not enter into the kingdom of heaven the identifying mark of the ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven is that slice of those people who say, Lord, Lord, who also do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, he's not saying, if you want to go to heaven, do the will of the Father and you'll get there. Remember, remember Romans, two years, or three months of Romans. You don't work your way into heaven by doing good deeds. But, being obedient to the father is a characteristic of a Christian. And if you don't have that characteristic, you're probably not a Christian. Do you see the difference between those two things? I don't want you to get confused. Now, in Luke's account of this, it's much clearer that he's just going for contrast here because he sums up this whole paragraph Luke does when he when he writes you know, Luke went and interviewed eyewitnesses and, and compiled a biography of Jesus. He wasn't actually there. And he sums up this whole paragraph in Luke 6, 46 with this, with this question that Jesus asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So there's a, a slice of people who, who say to Jesus, call to Jesus, address him, identify him as Lord, address him as Lord, yet they don't do anything he says. They don't do the will of the Father in heaven. They call him Lord, Lord, but they don't do what he says. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If that is you, if that is me, it doesn't matter how much we pray. It doesn't matter that we know that Jesus is the Lord. doesn't matter that we identify him as the Lord. doesn't matter that we had address him as the Lord. It doesn't matter that we pray to him as the Lord. If we're not responding to him as though he is the Lord, we don't enter the kingdom of heaven. We've missed something crucial. Observation number two. Many who have seemingly done supernatural and mighty works in Jesus' name will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many who have seemingly done supernatural and mighty works in Jesus' name will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We see that in verse 22. And I want, I want you to see it in your Bible. And there's pew few Bibles if you don't have your Bible. I'm not making anything up. Verse 22, Jesus says, On that day, he's referring to the day that we see Jesus, that he returns and all is called to account. On that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? In verse 23, Jesus's response, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now I said in my point, my observation number two, that many who have seemingly done supernatural and mighty ministry works for in Jesus' name. I say seemingly because we don't know if they really did prophesy or cast out demons. It just says that they claim they did, and they, they seem to think they did. And Jesus doesn't seem to care whether they did or not. He doesn't even address. He doesn't say, well, yeah, that's true, you did, but... And he also doesn't say, no, you didn't. He just says, I don't know you. prophecy, exorcisms. These are the things that the pros do. You have to be pretty spiritual to prophesy, to cast out demons. These are the things, you know, supposedly that we're empowered to do through the Holy Spirit. These are the big things. This is like like leading a Christian movement. This is like preaching. This is like writing Christian books. These are the big things. how many of us will come to Jesus with claims of much less and him say, depart from me, I don't know you. And we say, well, Jesus, I, I taught Sunday school. Jesus, didn't I, didn't I do the 91.9 Bible reading plan in a year in your name? Jesus, didn't I teach my children the 10 commandments in your name? Jesus, didn't I participate in the music ministry? Didn't I participate as a deacon or a deaconess or a trustee or on the finance committee? Didn't I do these things in your name? Didn't I, didn't I preach in your name? Apparently, on that day, none of that forms our basis for entering the kingdom of heaven. Apparently, it's possible to do these things and not be known by Jesus Christ. Leads me to my third observation. Entry into the kingdom hinges on Jesus' personal and intimate knowledge of you. Entry into the kingdom hinges on Jesus' personal and intimate knowledge of you. That's in verse 23 at the beginning. Do you see it? In your Bibles, Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, usually you hear, you need to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Well, it turns out it's more important for Jesus to know us. That word, Translated knew, I never knew you. In the original language, that word brings a lot of baggage with it. It means it's a very personal, very intimate knowledge. It's the same word used uh, when they talk about Mary not having been with a man. Mary didn't know a man. It's a very personal, intimate knowledge. Now, this is another point I want to clarify. When he said in verse 21... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Did, did you notice when we're actually there standing in front of Jesus, he doesn't say, depart from me, you didn't do the will of my Father. Like that, Doing the will of the Father is just an identifying characteristic. That's not what earns you the right to go into heaven. Okay? What earns you the right to go into heaven is Jesus seeing you, seeing your face and saying, yep, I know you, you're one of mine. Come on in. Imagine you're at your house. Somebody comes to the door and knocks, and you open the door, and you don't recognize them at all. But they know all about you. They know your name. They know what your kids look like. They know um, what you guys did for your son's birthday party last year. They know what you like, what you dislike. They know your political stance. And they got it all from Facebook. They're some obscure Facebook friend. You don't even know how you made friends with them. And they know all about you. But you don't know them. Do you let them into your house? That's sort of the scenario. It is very possible for us to know a lot about Jesus Christ without him knowing us. You may know a lot. You may know your Bible better than I know my Bible. But Satan and the demons know the Bible. Satan and the demons know who Christ is. That doesn't mean anything. What means something is, does Jesus know you as one of his? Fourth observation. Jesus suggests that there will be more people who call him Lord and do seemingly mighty ministry in his name who are not admitted than those who do the will of the Father and are known by Jesus and are admitted. He suggests that there are more who are going to show up and look at him and, and he's going to say, depart from me, I don't know you. Then there will be who show up and he says, yes, you're one of mine. Now I say suggests because he doesn't come out and say that and I don't want to go too far, but I think it's certainly suggested. It's suggested for one, just by the word Many. In verse 22, many of the most prominent ministers, the most public ministers, he's going to say, I don't know you. But it's suggested further up. If you look at verses 13 and 14, where he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So there's one way, and this way is wide and broad, and there's many people living this way. And then there's another way, and this way is narrow and hard, and there are few who enter that way. This should absolutely terrify you. And you say, well, Matt, you're just trying to play on my emotions. Have I ever tried to play on your emotions? I'm not even emotional. I don't try to play on your emotions, but this is what Jesus has said. And it should absolutely terrify us, it should stop us dead in our tracks. It should make us take this seriously. We have to deal with this, and we have to deal with this this morning. This is our passage this morning. For some reason. May God make it plain where we stand. Observation number five. Those who are turned away will find out in front of Jesus. Those who are turned away from the kingdom of heaven will find out in front of Jesus. And I get that at the beginning of verse 22 and at the beginning of verse 23. In verse 22, he says, On that day, many will say to me, directly to me, in 23, and then I will declare to them. This is an, an exchange directly between us and Jesus Christ. These hordes of frantic people saying, Lord, Lord, look at my record. They're standing right in front of Jesus Christ. See, right now, Jesus speaks through the Bible. The Holy Spirit enlivens it. He'll speak through preachers and teachers. But on that day, it'll be his voice. It'll be his face. You see, it's easy to brush this aside now because it's just Matt talking to you. On that day, it will be Jesus talking to you. You can ignore these realities now. You can ignore them for a little while. I don't know how long. Cannot ignore them on that day. So don't ignore them now. Observation number six. Those who are forbidden entrance into the kingdom will find that they already knew it. Those who are forbidden entrance into the kingdom will find that they already knew they didn't belong there. Let me show you where I get this. This is in verse 23. Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That word declare. That word declare is only translated declare here in this verse. Everywhere else that word is used is translated confess. And the only time the word confess is used is when one person is saying something that the other person already is saying and already knows. When we confess our sin, confess confess. Con means with. When we confess our sins, we're saying with God, yes, I know what you've been saying is correct. Yes, I have sinned. When you confess, you're saying with someone. When he confesses to you, he will be saying with you that he doesn't know you. It's not him saying, I don't know you, and you saying, yes, you do. It's him saying, I don't know you, and you saying, yes, you That's right. I don't think anybody's going to be shocked. I used to think that people were going to be shocked. I used to think that this passage meant that there were going to be people saying, Lord, Lord, I can't believe this. I really thought that we were close. I really thought you knew me personally and intimately. And now you're saying you don't. Where's this coming from, Jesus? I used to think that that was the scene, but I don't think so. I think that, Many of us will be frantic, but not because we're shocked, because we're desperate and we know that our time is up and we never, we just never did it. We played around with this Jesus thing our whole lives and we never just gave ourselves to it. Some of you know right now you don't, you're not doing the will of the Father and you don't care. Some of you know you're not. You don't even know what the will of the Father is. You're not, you're not, you don't care. You're not reading the Bible. Not a big deal. Because it's so comfortable. We come in, we go. We come into church and we see each other. We love each other. It's great. We go. We do our thing. And you don't have this identifying mark on your life that you are responding more and more over time, being molded and shaped, look more and more like Christ. Love for God. Remember the number one commandment, love God. That's not growing in your heart and you don't care. That is so dangerous if that's you. Number two commandment, love people. Some of you, love for others is not growing in your heart. You're not responding to the will of the Father in that, and you don't care. It's just the way I am. It's the way I always have been. It's the way my father was. Some of us, I have to believe, I mean, why else would God want me to preach this this morning? Some of us must be just playing with this stuff, just toying with it and thinking that that's enough. It's not enough. Observation number seven. I think I said I had eight. I only have seven. There will be no more mercy or grace at that point. God is merciful. God is gracious. But at that point comes the period. At that point, it ends. Right now, we are lavished with mercy and grace in Christ. But look back at verse twenty-three, and then I will declare to them, "I never knew you." And he doesn't say, "But here's one last chance." Do this now. Come to me now. You've ignored me your whole life. You, you've heard the gospel fifteen billion times in fifteen billion different ways. And you've ignored it every time. Here's one last chance. If you will let me, I will cleanse you of all your sins. If you will just trust me. If you will just trust me as your Lord and Savior and give your life to me, I will take care of everything and you can come be with me. It's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, depart. Depart is splitting paths. I never knew you. Now what that means is then is not the time to repent and to seriously give yourself over to Christ. What that means is now is the time to repent and seriously give yourself to Jesus Christ. Now. So I restructured the whole order of our service because it's just not what I thought it was going to be this morning. What it's going to be instead is I'm inviting you now to respond to this. Even if you don't fully understand it, even if you're just, you're not sure. If you feel that maybe you should respond, you should respond. What's at stake is too important for you to wait until after lunch. So we're going to sing, just as I am, old school, classic altar call song, And we're going to have an altar call, and I'm going to stand right here. And if you need to deal with something, come talk to me. And if I'm already talking to somebody else, just sit, just wait. Okay? And you might think, oh, you're just emotionally manipulating me, and you're trying to do an altar call to make yourself feel good. I never do altar calls, ever. Because I don't want you making emotional decisions. But now's the time to deal with this. Even if you don't understand what it is God's trying to do. I'll pray I don't understand what God's trying to do and I'll pray with it with you here and now while we sing our closing hymn